It is Monday, January 13th, 2020, donks, and it is time for Morning Combat. Hello there. Good morning to you, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this program alongside my healthy and living co-host, Brian Campbell from CBS Sports and... Uh, you know. Back from the dead. Apologize for missing last week, but yeah. I, had, I, had, I had to refuel for the new year. Pneumonia, no joke, Luke, okay? So All take right, care so of give yourself, the folks bro. an update. You got a clean bill of health? I got a clean bill of health. I'm back. And you, I'm we ready. have a busy January, my friend. Look, la, you know, last time we did this show, we were kind of buzzed all because, right? This right. is how we do it, but... Uh, it's up to us to make some changes in our lives for our, for personally for the show, right? No yeah. more gas stations, right, right? Right. Maybe make the show a little less thirsty. All right? right. And I know you're like, you know, oh, this dong, it's a dong show. No. All right. Let's get serious about combat. Right. Are you ready for this? Yes. Okay. Well, we have a lot to get to. So it is going to be a busy January. It's going to be a busy February and March and certainly April and beyond. This is our first show of 2020. So without further ado, Brian Campbell, let us kick things off here. Topic one, this Saturday is the return of Conor McGregor, UFC 246, the main event. Cowboy Cerrone will be stepping up to the plate to see what happens when Conor McGregor comes back, his first fight since losing at UFC 229 to Habib Nurmagomedov. The question I would like to start off with, Brian, I actually pitch it to you first. Sometimes yes. I like to go first. Sometimes uh, I want to pitch it to you. Based on everything we have seen pre-fight, and we had a conversation about this yesterday, maybe you disagree, but I saw Chuck Mendenhall, our, our, uh, our trusty Steve here on the show, he was saying he feels like the sneakiest fight week in McGregor history. I tend to agree. Based on everything you have heard from Connor or people say about Connor who are somewhat in the know, what what kind of Connor are you expecting? Do you believe that the king is back? What have you been able to ascertain given the amount of information that has been out there? I believe we're going to get the closest thing to the king being back at 31 years old coming off of such a long layoff, which does disaster to the idea of the kind of fighter he is. Somebody who relies on technique, rhythm, timing, and needs to be busy. Why was he so unbelievable in 2015 and 16? He fought three times both years, and he was sharp, and he was ready, and he was there. Taking off the kind of break that he did, one fight in three years, certainly no matter what you think about UFC 229, that's not 100% not prime Connor. And that's sort of been the theme heading into this fight. Is the king back? I don't know if the king can ever be the king again. That's something that can really only be answered, not just Saturday night, but the next few fights, especially if he can fight three times this year, which is his goal. But I think if you can gain anything from tone, and I'm really pointing at that Mac Life interview, you know, yes, it's it's an in-house interview, but you really got a first chance to get up close and personal with him. Something to, you're, you're in Chuck's point of why this fight may not have this feeling of buzz as if like a ship's about to crash into us. Well, they didn't do a public press conference, right? They didn't do any kind of media tours, maybe because of the sexual assault stuff. So coming so close to the holidays, it's kind of just parachuted in right now. It's going to be massive fight night. It's probably going to do monster business. All of our websites that cover it are going to do monster business. Sure. But the idea of is can the king still be the king? I have liked what I've heard from him. Hmm. I have liked the the Hutzpah coming out of him. If I can say one thing about the build of 229, it was unlike any other fight build we'd ever seen because of the Dolly incident in April in Brooklyn. It became instantly a grudge match of a nasty level that we'd never seen. We knew it had skyrocket potential to break the pay-per-view record. It did. Only fight in MMA history to go 2 million buys on pay-per-view. But it was a... And I'm specifically referring to Connor in that Radio City Music Hall with Habib. It was just a zero to 60, Connor. It was like a go for the throw in every comment, Connor. Go after everything. It wasn't that full on confident showboating, Connor, from the Aldo build, from the first Diaz build. 
I think I'm hearing a little bit more of that. And if you want to do cut and paste math and you're hearing John Cavanaugh and them say, look, we've never seen him this, you know, this dialed in in a while. And you hear Connor being honest about the potential disaster that was that Habib camp. If you put all of that together and he can be the best version that he can be at 31 coming off a break, we could see a big year coming for Conor McGregor that starts on Saturday night. I mean, I'm of a, a few different minds on this. I mean, the one hand, I've talked about it before, people always have these questions. How good is Conor striking? How good is his ground game? You talk to his critics, they'll tell you he's some kind of fraud who has pulled a magician's trick over everybody. You talk to his camp, his inner circle, and they, they, they make him sound like he's a North Korean dictator. He gets, you know, 18 holes in one, 18 holes in a row, right? So it's very hard to get an understanding of things. But here's what I would say in terms of the good side of what I've heard. I, I did not like the uh, suggestion from his longtime head trainer, John Cavanaugh, that Connor is essentially running his camp. And I've talked to some folks over in Ireland, and they kind of tell me that's been the case maybe for a little while. So it may not be new. And I'm not saying that will cost him against Cerrone. I just think against elite opposition consistently over time, eventually that might bite you in the ass. So that part wasn't great. But I'll tell you what, at 170, there are some interesting questions that we'll assess here in just a second. But I like that he is not trying to be the old thing that he was. To me, maybe if he beats Cerrone, he will come out there and he will just say, okay, Let's dust well, he's, off. He's humbled. He's legitimately humbled, right. and that's why. Right, but that's a good thing, I think. Yeah. He, he may go out and beat Cerrone and then dust off the old material, in which case we're back to where we were. And I do think he reserves animosity for the Khabibs of the world. Maybe Justin Gaethje's, maybe Masvidal's. I guess we'll have to see Nate as well. Who knows? But in the case of Cerrone, I'm liking what I'm hearing in the sense that it seems very planned. It seems very thoughtful. We talked about it when it was a Justin choice or a, or a Cerrone choice. What was the right fight for him to take at that juncture? The Cerrone fight, I think, is the better one. Everyone has been kind of alarmed by Connor that he's been reserved. I have to tell you, I am heartened by that. But here's the even better news. Let's assume for just a second, Brian Campbell, that the peak Connor McGregor was UFC 205 against Eddie Alvarez. Yes. I think that's the best I've ever seen him. Maybe you disagree. Do you think that's the best you've ever seen Connor? Uh, the 13 yes. seconds against Alvarez. You know, I talked about the Connor magic a lot. Yeah. The magic was, the jar was full at that point. You right. felt like he could accomplish anything. No, but imagine you didn't know anything about him and you just watched that yes. fight. You'd walk away unbelievably impressed. If that guy shows up, or a version of at 170 of that guy, Cerrone has no chance. I think the good news for Connor fans is. You can get a guy, I think, one or two steps below that, and not because Cerrone is some chump, but because the wind is at Connor's back stylistically, that this is, this is just the right opportunity to get back there. And his focus, he said before, was achieving certain benchmarks. I want to get this amount of money. I want to get these titles. The new benchmark is absolute, unequivocal, let's wring the sponge dry. How good can I actually be? I don't even think he needs to go for that goal. But if that's your North Star, you can be a little bit less because of the time off and still get the win. I'll say this. The good news is Connor should win. The bad news is if he doesn't, I think it's absolutely disastrous for his career. Absolutely. I think the new benchmark is, in my mind, actually starting and creating a legitimate second chapter to his career. So what does that mean? If he loses this fight, we can get into the what, what would be at stake and what would happen next and all that. But he's certainly at a weird spot. Only 31 years old, not that far removed from his physical prime, didn't take a lot of damage the last few years, yet at the same time... He's not that far from becoming full-time celebrity fighter. He's, he's not that far from us going, well, 
He's one-dimensional now. He's always been one-dimensional. Yeah, he had that run where the magic was great and he was consistent, but now let's just cash him out a few times and let's see him go. He's at that sort of uh, seesaw moment where it's like, which path are you going to go? He could end up becoming legitimately one of the all-time greats, and to do that, you have to have a second chapter. Look at a guy like Randy Couture who was able to sort of reinvent and create different roads at different weight classes or suffer a couple defeats, but come back. This is why this fight in this year is going to be so damn compelling for Connor because he's really got to figure out. It's not It's not piece of the ownership in the UFC. You're not getting that, brother, all right? You were top of the mountain three years ago the last time we saw you fight. Now I think it's more about can he get back to a le- being a legitimate title contender given how much MMA has evolved and changed while he's been gone right. and potentially doing that at 170. Now, I told you that I liked the the... the bombastic side, the confidence that I'm seeing coming out of him. It's not overly over the top, as we talked about. He's humbled. There's a little bit of, of stuff in there that's that's more just talk to pump himself up. Him re- relapsing over the Habib fight and showing you round by round, well, I was winning this round yeah. and he only did and this. His, I mean, and his assessment of what was going on seems a little bit off. That's off, but I think to a certain degree, any fighter, any fighter has to be a con man to themselves to talk them into sort of the confidence that you need to go but in there Just to push back on that, if I may, did you ever hear GSP do that? I never heard him do that. Oh, I'm, I'm not sitting here and telling you that, that this is the best move for Conor. I'm saying this is kind of how he works and okay. it doesn't scare me as much. The thing that potentially scares me is that he's sprinkling on top the idea of, look, I want Habib, I want to get back in that title shit line at 155, but if that doesn't happen, I'll go up there and take the 170 title. Right. I think there's a difference between when he used to do that when Tyron Woodley was champion and it got in his face because he is so high on top of the mountain back then, mystic Mac to the gills, that he can talk dress to anybody and talk himself into believing that he can do it. But in your early 30s, when you're this one-dimensional, do you really want to be talking that confidently publicly about going in there and knocking out Usman and dealing with those wrestlers? I don't know if that's the smart move to in the angle to go to, but if he is going to have a legitimate second chapter in his career that begins this year, he's going to have to figure out who he is as a fighter three, four years removed from when he would just walk people down and get them out with one punch, and can he become more well-rounded? Can he prove to us that he can be a legitimate 170-pound fighter. So here's the thing for me. It's like, if you look at Mayweather, why was Mayweather able to take really long breaks in his career? Because he was so far ahead of everyone else, it just didn't matter. He could literally kick his feet up, let the game keep going, decide he wants to make another 20, 40, 60, 80, 100 mil, and then come back and just mollywop somebody. Now, again, towards the end of his career, we all know he got a little bit selective about the timing of the opposition to a degree. Well, he's always been selective, let's be honest. Okay, but fair enough. But he, you know, he fought tough guys. All right, but the point being is this. You have seen the very, very, very best ones in MMA do that. Your John Jones, who dominated the last decade. Your GSP, who for the most part, outside that four-year sabbatical, he could take a four-year sabbatical, come back and still win the middleweight title uh, against Michael Bisping. Those guys are able to take time off and still achieve pretty remarkable things. The question has always been, is Connor really that good, or was he just on a hot streak? Here's the interesting part for me about 170. First of all, or even 155, we're going to find out exactly which Connor is here. Now, is it a new Connor? Is it the old Connor? Is the new Connor better than the old Connor? Is he much worse? I, I don't know what the answer to that is. But to me, when he says, well, yeah, if I can get the 155 title, great. If not, I'm just going to go to 170. On the one hand, I like the fact that he's giving himself options. On the other hand, there used to be this fun and magical tension between his imagination and your own skepticism. That's a great, great way to say it. Right? And now that tension's more like just skepticism. You're like 170, Kamaru Usman. Are you shitting me? Now you're most like, dude, you're, you're sounding delusional. And he always did, but you're always like, but every time I doubt him, he's wrong. 
it's a similar kind of setup, but with different mechanics operating, I think, internally in the fan base as well as among the media. So if he can go and achieve great heights, he's got great obstacles in front of him that will enable him to do that. But it also feels like I, before I doubted his delusion and I, I paid for it. Now I'm like, I feel much more secure in being sure of some of the heights of his And that's delusion. why this fight is, in his, where he is in our eyes is such a, a trapeze act for him. It could go either way. I'm wrong. When I originally said, you're doing this cowboy fight now when he's coming off two losses, it could have been so much bigger if you did it last year when dad cowboy was rising and, and, and trying to get that you know elusive title shot. I think it's actually better now because you can talk me into... 50-50, you can talk me into either direction. Connor's going to walk out there and knock him out in the first minute, or Connor's going to get exposed because it's the wrong tough guy when you're one-dimensional and you haven't been around in a while and you have a historically questionable gas tank outside of that one fight at UFC 202. Mm-hmm. In either direction, the extremes, I would 100% buy in if you told me that's going to happen. Yeah, It's such a precarious spot. Yeah, star power fights, look, for whether he loses his next six fights, every time he fights, we're going to watch it, just like we watched the tail end of the Mike Tyson run when it was just a complete circus sideshow. But he also has a chance to get back in line and prove he can have a second career. He's, I mean, the great ones, the, the Ali's, right? They constantly were able to reinvent. Yep. It, we're really at that precarious moment. It's, it's, it's theater, man. Right. It's, it's, it's the perfect kind of theater. Right. Is he an all-time great, or was he just a guy who was good at one time? All right. Uh, all right, so we move on now to a little bit of uh, X's and O's in as much as we can do them, which is to say, Brian Campbell, there are probably, and in every case, usually many factors that affect an outcome on both sides of the equation, for the opponent, for the venue, for the buildup, for everybody. Many, many things explain why someone wins and why someone loses, and as we know in fighting, it's almost always a zero-sum game. But that being said, Brian Campbell, I would like to know what you think. I'll go first this time. But the question will be put to the table is, what is the big X factor for you? What is the one factor you think at the end of the day will really decide this bout? And the obvious ones where you look at, at, given that this bout is 170 pounds, would be, well, what about Connor's cardio, right? Because to the extent that that doesn't fade, he should basically be okay. Um, He looks like he's well-muscled at 170 versus just kind of, um, you know, not taking training as seriously perhaps as he could have, but then being below the weight threshold because he's just way out of the normal uh, boundaries of his of what the, where he typically is for his weight management. Um, so in other words, he has settled into the weight class. But I don't know if that extra power from the extra muscle, I mean, it'll help his punching power, but will it help his gas tank? I don't really know. That's another one. For dissected, we looked at Cerrone's wrestling. I think that's a big one. Uh, I'm actually going to go a little bit to something I just alluded, something that we don't really ever talk about. We always talk about Connor as this amazing power puncher. And at 145, there's no doubt. At 155, I would say he is uh, a very, very solid power puncher. Really, really good. I mean, he, he, top of the food four chain. Four punch combination to take out Eddie. It wasn't one punch and he starked him, but he right. can hurt you. But he's, and he's accurate in his yeah. timing. It's more than just that, of course. But I'm speaking just about the power. I actually think the jury is still out on that at 170. Now, understand he fought Diaz twice, and in both of those fights, he bloodied him. He won one of them. He rocked him in both. Don't misunderstand me. But I can't quite tell if it's because that Diaz didn't go away because Diaz has a rock chin. That could absolutely be an explanation. Or if it's because at some point that great power that is extreme at 145 and very good at 155 is like good at 170 but not enough. And here's why. You look at some of the power punchers from a southpaw position that Cowboy has fought. 
Rick Story, Robbie Lawler, these were both 170ers. They couldn't put him away. So to me, it's like, do I think that Connor's the better boxer? Of course. Do I think he'll be able to implement his game early? I especially do. Do I think he'll land? I'm, I'm, it's a virtual certainty. Do I think he has the power punching, Brian Campbell? I think that he does. But there's a little part of me that's like, mm, this needs to play out some more. Two fights against the same guy, not enough to answer that question. Absolutely. And if you and if you say what's the you know biggest X factor, the biggest uh, way to sum up the odds of this fight, which Connor has a you know pretty strong favorite here uh, when the when the Vegas odds came out, I think it's obvious. It's the fact that. If Connor's one-dimensional, well, that one dimension matches up so perfectly with Cowboy's vulnerability, which is he can have a flash chin and he's a slow starter. He gets hit more early than he does late. Historically, he almost needs to get hit a little bit to wake up and, and be at his best in there. That could be bad news for him. That's why the odds are where they are. Obviously, you're going to get a lot of people running in last minute, putting some money on, on Cowboy. It's a good bet, of course. But what happens, though? And this is the question in every Conor fight. It was the question in the Habib fight for different reasons. What happens if the fight goes past one round? If that sort of my strength and your weakness coming together to, to create explosion well, let me does ask you. not let me ask happen. You. He had a he had a two to one striking differential on Habib in the third round of their fight. So is it really true that after two he's not the same? And he had the strong fourth round against Diaz. What do you think? At this point to to say he to say Connor uh, is a front runner in the late rounds is kind of tough. He did sort of come back in 202 against Nate in the rematch, but he hit the wall a couple times where he looked like he was on the way out. Yeah, he came back against uh, Chad Mendes in a, in a two round fight. We really haven't seen him too consistently there, so the jury is still kind of out, and that's where the a lot the the many unknowns are. But to put on your Professor Salt and Pepper hat and know the history of Cowboy's ground game, it's certainly safe to say Cowboy's the better all-around fighter who has more ways to win this fight, yes. and that's something that's negative against Connor. But what Connor said, especially in that Math Life interview, was that. I'm just better. I'm just better than all these guys. My craft, when I can get myself tuned in and, and, and where I need to be with consistency, I'm just better than these guys. I also believe that. But what happens when those two worlds collide at the end of round three? That's where I don't know exactly what this fight will look like. Certainly the default nature says the longer this fight goes, it certainly does not favor Connor. But can Cowboy utilize his strengths that he actually has on the ground? Will he try to take it there? There's so many unknowns. As we right. So here. for me, the argument about like in, as a general rule, you're looking at two fighters, you're trying to figure out who's going to win here. This won't always help you. There will be many times where this is not the case. For, you know, Ray Mercer knocked out Tim Silvio, right, okay, in MMA. But the reality, or like maybe it was a boxing fight with MMA clubs. No, I don't they changed it to MMA at the last did, did they? Yeah. Okay, I can't remember the rules anymore. But the point being is this. Skills win fights. And in general, the person with more skills, certainly at a polished level, should be able to beat the person who has less skills. But here's the reality. Was Jose Aldo more skilled, well-rounded-wise, than Conor McGregor? There's no doubt. He was a world-level brown belt before he even got to black belt. Connor, I think it was a purple or a brown belt on the ground. He was automatically better on the ground. Was uh, better defensive wrestling. Uh, was Eddie Alvarez a better overall fighter than Conor McGregor in terms of his wrestling, his submissions? I would argue that he was. Connor consistently finds himself in places where many of his opposition are certainly more well-rounded. It just doesn't matter because he finds ways to contain the game around his skill sets to the point where he's always keeping that imbalance. Rather than there being a general imbalance, he defines the fight, typically anyway, not against Abib, where he couldn't. Uh, he defines it in such a way where your relative advantages don't match his absolute advantage 
in this one particular area. So the question is whether that will happen. I think if it goes past round three, well, then it becomes a different debate. Connor's lack of relative ability in terms of those other dimensions that Cowboy has, I think will be fully relevant. But early, it just historically in McGregor fights has not been the case. This is what I'm saying. If past his prologue, Conor McGregor should not lose this fight. So if he does, that's a horrible sign, which brings me now to my third question, if I may, Brian Campbell. Let's go through it for both guys. What happens for McGregor and the sport and the UFC if he wins or loses? Same question for uh, Cerrone. We start, however, with Conor. If Conor wins, what does it do for him? What does it do for UFC? What does it do for the future. Uh, business-wise, Connor-wise, obviously a win is huge. You can certainly make a great claim that this fight is set up to give him that victory. It's a guy with a name that he can sell, but a guy he can be and in theory should be. If he wins, he starts what I think will be a three-fight year, and it'll be a progression into monster pay-per-view record-type fights either against Habib, either against a Jorge Masvidal. A win here, though, is so important. Like I said, when you're at that crossroads, are you going to be the journeyman celebrity fighter or are you going down the road of getting back in that top 10 pound for pound and getting back in being a title contender in multiple divisions? His next fight, if he beats Cowboy, will be the biggest fight you can make in the sport. That sums it up alone and sort of what's at stake and where Connor would go. It would really be up to that point of, you know, who wins Tony Habib and which direction UFC wants to go in that moment. Did you ask me what happens if Cowboy wins? No, no, no. We'll go to that in just a second. Let's talk about Connor if he loses. That's the thing where it's like the word disastrous would not be out of place. How disastrous, though, is key. Some of it depends on how exactly Connor would lose this fight. Okay, so give me some If ranges. this was an action fight that went back and forth and he had chances to win and then he loses a hard-fought decision, you're, 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 he's going down a peg, but he's not going to, to break neck, let's cancel things like he would if he runs out of gas in the third round and gets submitted via re- rear naked choke, right? Where he had moments early, but he faded again, and you're like, same old Connor, one-dimensional, all the negatives that we associate with him historically. I mean, if he gets dominated and loses in any form, I think, yes, disastrous. He would instantly go into, uh, what are we doing with him? Do we cash him out against Masvidal? Do we get Nate written right away to do that trilogy? Do we go down the line where he's only fighting the rest of the way, the Nates, the Knicks? Can we get GSP to care about a fight with him? That type of stuff. Mm. You're really in that crossroads picking the other lane, I think, for the rest of his career, Luke. It's tough to put that much on one fight, but if he can't beat this version of Cowboy Cerrone and look great doing it, which obviously is no easy task, but this is Conor McGregor we're talking about. This is a guy who has been, at worst, number three pound for pound when he was active for the last three years. This is a guy who broke every pay-per-view record. This is a guy who claims Muhammad Ali like claims about himself. This fight decides whether he just is a, tr- a ticket seller moving forward or he's for real. And I really believe that. How bad is it for the sport if he loses? <sighs> UFC did not have Conor McGregor fight in 2019. And in large part to the ESPN deal, you have Dana White saying this was our best year financially ever. They're just a couple years removed from a $4 billion sale. They're fine whether he fights or doesn't fight again. I'm secure in saying that. They could go to a whole new level, especially with the vehicle of ESPN promoting their fights if Conor not only fights three times this year but is a relevant, legit title contender and player. Uh, Like I said, if you tell me you can see the future and Conor's going to lose his next five fights, all five of those are going to sell big, and no matter what, you get Conor involved, it's going to matter. But he really has an opportunity, Luke, uh, to do so many big things that if he does lose, again, not, not really disastrous, but you're missing out on a, on a giant cash-in potential. Yeah, so I would say this. Let's talk about if he wins, right, if Connor wins. I, first of all, this is the most crucial win of the three he could potentially have. This is the one where you get this 
so to speak, monkey off your back. Now you can go 155, you can go 170. Do you want to go BMF? I doubt they give him a title shot, but certainly he would be in the conversation because he's Connor. 155, he might force the Khabib fight. Like it puts you in the absolute catbird seat. That's amazing. I also think his fan base, they're, they're, they respond to the boundaries of his own imagination about himself. So they've been kind of active, but not as much as they normally are. Like are the Irish going to travel like they have been in the past? 246 is not a sellout yet, as far as I know, certainly on the secondary market. So my point being is they're waiting to have their own imagination re-sparked, rekindled, to have everything, they get the band, so to speak, back together again. He beats Don Cerrone, I think that that drum beat goes boom, boom, boom for the next several months. And I think if you could lose the next one, that'd be not okay, but at the end of the world, if you can win two out of three on the year, you win two out of three on the year, that's a good year in the yeah, UFC, man. If you're man. telling me he's he's going to win two or three and the loss will be either against Habib in a rematch for the title yeah, or, or to Masvidal for yeah. the BMF, yeah, this, that's, is, that's, that's this fine. is where you need to be. That's exactly fine. There's no problem with that at but, all. But uh, would you agree? You get stopped by a 36-year-old cowboy at this point. It's, okay. It's, it's you really lose to cowboy, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. And, and, and I know Dana's like, well, uh, everyone's not giving Cerrone the credit. It's like, bro, you booked him cynically. Like, that's yeah. kind of on you, not on us. Like, uh, real quick, if Connor loses, he's fighting Mike Perry next. That's 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 where it sort of shows you the, the, the direction he would go. So to me, this is my point. It's like, it's not that Cerrone is some chump. He's one of the most decorated fighters the UFC has ever had. That is a literal fact. But the style matchup is... The guy who beat Eddie Alvarez would never lose to, to Donald Cerrone. And that's not a slight on Cerrone. That's a compliment of the genius of that guy that night in Conor McGregor. So if he loses, it's a major reevaluation of the kind of potential that I think he has. Probably some overreaction, I suspect, because he could go and lose the first one and then maybe get a nice rebound at the end of the year. We'll have to see. But to me, it'd be a, it would force a major recalibration of who he is. Now, you're right about one thing. The UFC has done a really good job of limiting the volatility in their business model by getting the guaranteed revenue from ESPN. They have a guaranteed uh, overseas revenue in the ways they never had before. They get a lot of money now that it's just contractual. I don't think they worry so much. And you're right, connor has been gone. But it's a different between Connor being on sabbatical and then Connor being back and losing. That, to me, you're going to get a lot of people being like, MMA's biggest star is dying, blah, blah, blah. New York Times was writing stories about this, about the, star, the lack of stars in the MMA with Connor. With that, well, he, he lost a number of but he had essentially gone back on sabbatical. So if he's back and losing, I do think it feeds some media narratives, even if it doesn't match Let reality. Let me ask you a question you don't want to answer. Hmm. Is Connor more or less likely to close 2020 in a boxing match against Floyd Mayweather, knowing the Floyd and Dana relationship, if he wins or loses on Saturday? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I'll say less. I'll say less. Just because I don't think Floyd wants it anymore. Even though he, The money, yes, but he's got other ways to make some money. Um, but God, you never know. I didn't think it was going to happen the first time. So what the let fuck me ask you a, Hold on. We got, we got to go to the Cerrone part. We go to the well, Cerrone. let me ask you an uber cynical question about Cerrone. Is it fair to say when we talked about, well, maybe Connor's just always been better. And if long as he's, you know, 75% Connor in there, he's just going to be better. Is it fair to say that Cerrone's ultimate weakness is that he can't beat the true elites? And that there's really not a scenario, you know, that, so that when you match up against a Connor, he's going to lose. Like Connor said to Ariel in the preview of that ESPN interview that's mm-hmm. coming up this week, he said, I'll beat Donald at, at 55, 70 with the flu, whatever you want to set up. I'll always beat him. Is there any elements of that that's somewhat true? So that, this is what I mean about the calibration of Conor McGregor. If this was 2016-era Conor McGregor, 
that would be a very true statement. And it might be true today. I, we, we just have to see on Saturday. But you're right. If you look at, like, for example, he did 10 fights, Don Cerrone did, at welterweight. He went 6-4 and four in that time. His two best wins, I would argue, probably Patrick Oteca, as he was ranked uh, somewhere around uh, 12th or so at the time. Rick Story was another good one. Matt Brown was around the 9 or 10 mark. So those were his... The way he finished him. Was yeah, yeah, it was phenomenal. Um, so those are probably his best wins. But if you actually look at his best wins at lightweight... They're, they're, they're against much higher-ranked opposition, including Ally Quinta most recently. So you're not necessarily ready to look in that camera and say, he's Craig Bijou, he's a compiler? This is, this is the point. If, he can't, if Connor can't beat that guy, the guy who has lost to those guys who are in the top five space, top four space, top three, it would tell you where Connor is today. Maybe not permanently, but today. Very quickly, because Jay wants us to move on. We have to yeah, talk about I'm not inti- In 2020, I'm not intimidated by that voice. Let me just say this real quickly. We'll, we'll cut out half of the conversation, which is to say, what if Cowboy Cerrone wins? So I had a conversation with Brendan Schaub about this, too. I would love to know, what does it do for his career? Uh, it's the biggest win of his career. It's the, That's and it, true. And it's the biggest payday in theory on paper right now. Forget and that. I mean, I mean. It, so, okay, what is it? It's not going to get a title shot out of it. The idea of, of, of Cowboy putting that final thing on the end of his career like Bisping did in upset fashion, that's over. That was last year's storyline. It's over. What this can give him, though, I think, is one more massive fight and if he got Jorge Masvidal from this with the BMF title on the line where you can create this storyline, Cowboy, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Maybe he can walk away with that BMF. It's one more big-time dance in the main event, big-time money, you know, playground. After that, you're talking about when's he going to retire, what other fun old names are there to match against him. Yeah. That's no, it. no, here's what I mean. Cerrone wins, let's say he stops him inside two. Dramatic win, right? Even if he gets dropped himself in the first. Dramatic win. Does he become an overnight sensation? Which is to say, no. Nate Diaz became a big star, in part because of who he was, but the, 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 the dynamic of his win was a big deal. Khabib, now a global brand. What does it do for the visibility and the popularity of Don Cerrone if he wins via stoppage against Conor McGregor? I don't think it does that much. I think that's so wrong. I, I, I feel like you got, is, Now, that is where Dana White is right. You mean to tell me he goes in there and knocks that guy out, which no one has ever done, and no one's going to turn this guy into an overnight star? As big as... Diaz? No. As big as Khabib? No. Much bigger than what he is today? Yes. Yes. I feel like his celebrity has has sort of maxed out. I mean, he he is who he is. He's on the back of a Budweiser can this week, and it's great. But I don't see him, be, you know, first of all, I don't see him winning a lot, a lot of huge fights left in his career. But you're just saying that there's a pocket of middle America who doesn't watch MMA and's never heard of him, and they will fall so in love with him because of a win over a questionable Connor coming in that he will launch into a Diaz-like cult following. He's already there in the cult. No, following. not a Diaz-like. Something less than that, but something much more than what he has. You act like Blue Collar America fully is cognizant of him. Not exactly. The one thing against Cerrone is that you're right. He's a little bit of a known commodity. He's had some great wins. He's had some bad losses. You kind of know what you're going to get at the same time. You can't have it both ways. If this is his best win, it's going to have the best results for his visibility. Not like Khabib, not like Diaz. I agree. But I think, I think the blue-collar hero that he has been would be times 10. Okay, we got to move along. Take the pulse of the public. Is Connor more hero or more villain entering this fight? In the, in the pulse of the American public. Ooh. He, I mean, he should be, a, should be a villain. Probably a villain, but here's the truth about it. Don't you feel like... What casual fans and hardcore fans to an extent as well, yeah. they don't love anything more than in America than for a redemption story. If he came out there and like, you know, knocks out Don Cerrone and then shows tears of joy, like I'm back, I'm back, I think people would be like, you know what? Yep. He's learned his lesson. So you're saying there's still hope for War Machine. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Ship has sailed on that one a little bit. Uh, 
All right, let's get on to this. Clarissa Shields scored a big win over the weekend. Brian Campbell beating Ivana Habazin. Habazin? I can never pronounce her name correctly. Uh, so this gives Clarissa Shields the WBC-WBO junior middleweight titles. It's her third weight class. She becomes the fastest boxer, male or female, in the shortest amount of time to collect belts in three different weight classes. Of course, 154 pounds is what this was. Now, this fight was over. She gets... Habazin scores her first being knocked down. She took a knee off a body shot, although there should have been maybe a penalty there because <laughs> Clarissa just kept hitting her when she was down. But Clarissa scores at her lowest weight. She scores her first ever knockdown. Now, she didn't stop her. There was some debate about whether she would, but Clarissa just dominated this woman. There was nothing she had for her past the first round. I won't say it was ugly, but it was when we got to like the eighth, ninth, and tenth round, I'm thinking to myself, Habazin's corner can call this at yes. any point. So the question is, what should be next for her? Let me tell you how I feel about this, Brian Campbell, because I'm not saying I've done a 180, but I've got a weird feeling. I don't know what to do with it, which is to say I normally hate these MMA versus boxing crossover fights. Mayweather-McGregor was good for business, but it was a stupid fight. I mean, we had stupid fun. All's well that ends well. But then when Masvidal won at Canelo, I was like, no, please, God. Future Tony. No, yeah, I God, mean, just God. no, please, God. I mean, I love Jorge Masvidal. Whatever they're paying him, it's not enough. But I just don't want to see that fight. I want to see Jorge fight other MMA fighters. You know the, the drill. But if I had to ask the average MMA fan, hell, even the average boxing fan, okay, Great win by Clarissa. Unbelievable job. She is just a marvel to watch. Who's next? They probably can't name anybody. And if I said, well, what about Amanda Nunes? All the attention perks up. Now, I realize what I'm saying, it goes against everything I believe. But I have to tell you, if you can't name who should be next, if you can't name two, maybe three people, who should be next? And I know there was this Jimenez lady who won on DAZN who called her out, but forget it. She's going to get mollywopped if they ever right. make that fight. Like this and, isn't Layla Ali coming yeah. back and, and also challenging her. This is shit. My point being is, honestly, and I hate to say this, but the most interesting fight I can even think of, not totally, but basically, it's a fight against Amanda Nunes. What are we doing here, Brian Campbell? <laughs> Save me from myself. You're right, but there's a way to do it correctly. So here's the deal. I'll always give Clarissa Shields so much credit because she's trying from day one to say, you know, the, whether you like the term quote or not. It's which, pretty, which pretty weird term, greatest women of all time. Anyway, she wanted to be the best, and she from a very early time, right? She was already famous from becoming the first double Olympic gold medalist and right when women were allowed to box in the Olympics, so she had that stardom coming in. And right away, she wanted to be great. Three titles in different divisions and ten pro fights. Turned pro at 168, now moving down to 54. She's ready to fight and willing to fight anybody. There's nobody. That's the problem, right? Christina Hammer, there was a story we could build. Hammer had marketability. It was booked correctly. Problem is, Shields is just better than anyone around her. There's not parity across the board, right? The parity is that everybody's sort of seemingly below average, and Clarissa Shields is a legi- is legitimately great. You know, she's more athletic, she's stronger, she's quicker than them, and a lot of this and stuff and about... And she's mean, too. And she has the right personality in interview. She could play hero or villain equally, and I've seen her do it. Maybe sometimes she doesn't get the knockouts because women's boxing is still two-minute rounds and only ten rounds as opposed to twelve, whatever. But there's nobody left, and the idea of her moving down in weight seemed to be her saying, okay, everyone thinks Cecilia Bracus, the undisputed women's welterweight champion, is the one, number one pound for pound. I'm going to get as close as I can to get down to her. Bracus is 147 pounds, and maybe we can do a super fight where I take all her belts and, and I'm the number one pound for pound. 
it doesn't feel like that fight is. So I had Clarissa on my radio show on Tuesday of this past week, and I asked her, can you make 145 for MMA or 147 for boxing, potentially against the fight against Breakhouse? She told me she can't. She can't do so it. So here's the deal on that. And by the way, Breakhouse is 38 years old. I'm, I'm sure you know she might be looking to go. Yeah, distinguished, but she might be looking to get someone like a Katie Taylor, someone fit, right. someone popular who's in the lower weight class. Right. And that's the problem for Clarissa right now. All the names in women's boxing are a little bit lower in those uh, weight classes. But when it comes to making this kind of crossover, and again, I'll give Clarissa credit. She showed up at the bit last UFC pay-per-view card and was doing interviews with everybody. She's putting herself out there. She's sparred with uh, Cyborg in the past. She's done those things. If you're going to do this, though, it can't be uh, give me four months to try to learn takedown defense, and then I'm going in there against the real greatest of all time in Amanda Nunez. I think it has to be almost Holly Holm-like where you say, okay, I've conquered boxing and there's no one else. Give me a year and a half, two years to figure out what type of MMA fighter I possibly could be when you mix in the advantage that I'm going to have on the hands and the fact that she's young and a great athlete. There is potential. I mean, I know Holly Holmes a different story because even though she was a long-reigning boxing champion, she had a kickboxing background. It was a little bit uh, easier of a transition, although I don't know if we always give Holly the credit she may deserve for making that transition. I would not want to be like, you're telling me a year from now she faces Nunez and just gets handled on the ground in, in a minute and a half. Let her actually commit to a full-time transition to UFC. Then you have a story. There's money to be made. There's big fights you can make. I think it would have to come down to what Clarissa really wants in terms of her future. Yeah, so I actually asked her. I was like, let me play cynic for a second, Clarissa. We saw what happened when Connor fought Mayweather. It didn't go his way. And I had a few other ones listed where people try to cross over. And it just goes poorly. I'm like, why should any fan believe that your situation will be any different? But by the way, Floyd was 42 and had been retired for two years, right? Yeah. Or 40 or whatever. Yeah. Different scenario than we're talking about Amanda Nunes in her absolute prime. prime. Yeah, Floyd was post-prime at that point. And her answer, I thought, was kind of interesting, depending on what she decides to do with it, which was leads right into your answer, which was, she goes, I'm 24. I have time. And I was like, well, does that mean if you decide to, like, not hang it up because you'd still be competing, but if you decide to make the move to MMA, you would just maybe spend four years doing that? And she didn't quite give me an answer, so I don't know how to answer it, except to say if she does that, she's right. She does have time. You can get these guys who are Olympic wrestlers, and you could say, well, wrestling's a better base to transition over to MMA, and that's fine. But we're talking about women's MMA, which is still in development. If she decides after this to say, I'm going to go train with John Bones Jones, and I'm going to get better at Greg Jackson, I'm going to take a fight at, you know, Fart FC, and then you know, whoever, blah, 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 and then slowly build her way up, right? Because folks forget, Dave Bautista, the pro wrestler, he didn't go jump to the UFC. He fought in some regional podunk whatever show, but he won. But that's what you're supposed to do. And he got hit by do. that truck driver a bunch of times, too, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But this is the point. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. That's the buildup. I also say this about CM Punk. It's like, dude, if you really want to get better, if, you, if this actually really matters to you as a fighter, you don't need to start in the UFC. you got to start somewhere else way below. So if she commits to that, that to me is an interesting idea. The problem is that does not guarantee you a UFC future. That's Because you could point. go down there and you can get absolutely smashed by some jiu-jitsu black belt who just takes you down And at trip. the same time, let's talk about weight. She just made the 154-pound limit to win those titles. Outside of Kayla Harrison and PFL, right around that weight class, there's not a ton of options. So it's look, you can argue the other point and say, if you're Clarissa, you would be doing that for the exposure. For the look, MMA is a sport in which they develop women and there's paydays there, right? More than women's boxing. So would be just doing it once, even if you know you're going to lose, worth it for the potential exposure and payday? I don't know. You'd have to, you know, you'd have to be on her side of the fence to really understand that. I don't know if it'd be worth it to your brand to go into a fight you can't win and lose it. Again, when Floyd was 40 and retired, a couple years removed from the sport, 
Connor was had the magic behind him, it was a little bit different of a scenario, even though on the inside, no one really thought Connor could win. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah, and is Dana White really going to agree to a contract where even if it was stipulated, where okay, Clarissa, you have to go fight in MMA first? She goes and either gets hammered from mount with elbows or gets her back taken and choked out. That's not good for her brand. You could say, okay, well, they're going to go in a boxing match second. Is Dana White really going to agree to a deal like that? He's never agreed to a deal like that. If she wanted to moonlight being Clarissa. If she wanted to moonlight on the side, go somewhere like a, you know, Heather Hardy made the jump to Bellator and had a couple fights. Do something where the matchmaking can be set up to really give you a showcase to see if you can do this and take your time to build to that. It could be something only 24 years old, like you said. I don't want to see her in some one-off with no time and experience against the best of all time. Uh, what she lacks is a worthy adversary. Is really the problem that she's up against. She's so good, she's too good for who's around her to the point where she now has to look at other sports because there's no opportunity for her. And as you pointed out, Floyd 42, Calissa Shields 24. It's a bit of a tough nut to crack. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. All right, last but certainly not least, last week it was revealed by Jessica Penne, who was previously an Adam Waiton Invicta champion down there for a time, I believe, where she fought Michelle Watterson for it. Anyway, ended up being a UFC straw weight. She lost 18 months of her career for a prescription drug that she had told USADA she was taking. And because the diet had legitimate medical benefit and a legitimate medical need, they reduced her punishment down to 18 months. She served it. She comes back, was supposed to have a fight. She twists her ankle. They try to book her for another one. And she missed it because she had trace levels, she says, of stanozolol. She sent the contaminated supplement that she argues was there to one lab. They discovered that, yes, it is covered in this. Apparently, according to USADA's own investigation, they could not reproduce the results that they found uh, even in this other laboratory. Well, that's funny because in the past when USADA couldn't figure it out, like with John Jones, they're just like, well, he can fight because we can't figure out the science. Don't get me started, Brian Campbell. In any event, it's what... Jessica Penny's claims are is that now she has been, I mean, you saw I didn't tell her you have to retire. What they told her was you need to sign up for a four-year suspension. But at her age, she's in her, I think, her mid to late 30s the at this point. The amount of money she's put in to try to defend herself. Right. She's already had to be a Lyft driver, dog walker, just to make ends meet. She's now asking for $40,000 in legal fees it's a to sad be afraid on Gulf. It's incredibly tragic. So go first. Um, what is your assessment of what is happening here? I don't know. I don't know anymore where I should stand. I've never been sort of as zealous as you at saying, you know, not as zealous. Okay, but go ahead. Angry. Angry, yes. Irrational. I'm the one who's irrational. Surly. Surly, yes. Harry. Harry, yes. Okay. Uh, You get the point where I'm going here. Um, I don't know if I'm ready to go extreme yet. And what would be extreme? Just going, I'm sick of this drug testing. I'm sick of who gets uh, better treatment over others. I'm sick of picograms. Hey, F it. Let's use what you want, but you got to get tested so we can all see what you're doing. And even that would be a crap show and people would be able to block and anything like that. I don't actually know what the right answer is anymore. I cannot get over, though, and we said it before on the show, that USADA and MMA could be so down to the damn sand grain to be able to find that you used not steroids, but a over-the-counter product that may have had a little bit in there, but in boxing they can go thousands of tests over multiple years in big-time pay-per-view fights and have one failed test. So it's hard for me, along with the clown and carnival show that happened to John Jones, to have any kind of confidence in what USADA's doing. So when I see this story, I go, oh, Jessica Penny got screwed once again. What are we doing here? Maybe Luke is actually right. I know USADA came back out with the sort of countering some of the things that Jessica had said. A little bit. But I'm literally getting to the point where I don't even want to read the fine details of there. I'm just sick of this. I don't feel like this is an accurate representation of who's using and who's using what and who's trying to cheat. I, deep inside, I'm more apt to believe that everybody's trying to cheat to a certain degree, but I don't think you saw is the answer, and I'm done trying to figure out in my own brain, was that just a pictogram, or is that somebody that's clouding their system through microdosing? Uh, 
Use, use what you want now. I just want to see fun fights. Well, all I, right? I don't think using what you want is the answer either. It's not, but it I'm at that frustration level where right. I don't even have an articulate take because it just seems like such a large disaster here. It's the same situation we come to with every other, every other one of these. Look, here's what's happening in USADA. It's falling along the same fault line that we get to when we talk about things like fighter pay, where you begin to realize, wow, I mean, this is actually, yes, you can make good money fighting depending on the circumstance, but boy, there appears to be a real imbalance in who gets what and what the benefits are. And you can find that fault line everywhere in the Reebok situation, uh, you know, uh, show and win money, whatever you want to do, any kind of way in which you, the the reality of the UFC's institutional interests taking precedence over fighter benefit, this is just the same situation refracted through anti-doping, which is to say the following. No one, is, no one rational, I think, is against anti-doping. The big mystery or misconceptions, I'm against it. I'm not. What I'm in favor of is a system that doesn't intentionally hurt the innocents. That, that's what I am not in favor of. So to me, yes, do you want to blame fighters for not having a union? Because if they did, they'd be able to negotiate better protections, both in terms of a union that could defray legal costs, provide them with legal uh, services, um, or perhaps you know would write into the bylaws certain protections. Where let's just I'm going to make up something. If one water accredited laboratory says that you, this was contaminated and one doesn't, we default to the one that does because that's enough for yeah, us. Is or whatever. it fair that the haves have to get, that the have-nots have to get their career destroyed in, by an injunction? In, in terms of uh, doping and anti-doping, these are negotiable portions of any kind of labor contract when there is a union. So do I blame the fighters to an extent for the situation that they are in? I suppose that I do. But this is the reality. I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over again because it's going to keep being true. The arrangement between the UFC and USADA is designed in principle to protect the institutional interests of both parties, in particular the UFC. They can claim, and they might even mean it, to be benevolent overseers of the rights and interests of fighters. We care about them, we want to protect them. And to their defense, over time, some of the policies have gotten better. But as you can see, the same fault lines emerge every time because USADA does not it principally, that's their main function is to not care about the fighters. It is to promote an ideology and a set of poli- policies that enforce that ideology. The UFC is trying to protect their institutional interests. There is no one at the table to represent the fighters. And as long as that is the case, so is it this, the let me finish. As long as that is the case, this is going to keep happening. Because it's certainly sad this scenario, Tom Lawler's scenario, uh, Jessica Andrade, what, a year before she won the championship, saying that she had to sell off her equipment yep. to be able to afford training camps? I mean, like, random stuff like this happening is... You, should we get Bjorn Rebney out of the bullpen? Is Union yes the only way to go here? Um, I tend to think so. But I don't know if Bjorn Rebney is the answer, my man. No. Let's ask Tim Kennedy. Uh, all right. With that in mind, we are done now with our top five. It's time for your questions for us. This is what we call DMs from Donks. See the donkey there. You there approve that graphic? I know you're very criti- critical here. Of, uh, well, I mean, we're still in Guantanamo Bay, so what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, okay. First up here, I'll go to you, Mr. Campbell. Yeah, bring it. From Dirty Diaz 79, do you think they watered down the McGregor Cowboy card to use as a future leverage against McGregor if it doesn't do as well as his other pay-per-views as far as money negotiations, I mean? Uh, No, because the model has changed in terms of the power that you get from becoming a a high-level pay-per-view producer. Yeah, but he's the Because of the ESPN deal. I do get that. I think it's more of a reality of what they know. 
They don't have to load up this card because you're selling it because of one fight and specifically one man. And it's sort of the boxing model, but that's what it is right now. You know, when you have UFC 245, three title fights, but Colby and Kamaru in the main event, neither one really able to carry that or become a singular reason why someone buys that card. That's why you would load it up a little bit more. This is what it is. It's it's Conor McGregor. He's back. Like, fought one time in three years. He's the biggest star in this sport's history. This is almost a smart business move, even though obviously I'm not I'm not all for it. The more the pay per views get watered, I don't down. take the cynical view that they were like, okay, we're gonna put a bunch of scrubs next yeah, to Connor. No, 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 no. Uh, first of all, there are a couple of gems on this card, which we'll talk about later. But the other part is, it's the opposite. It's actually such faith in Connor that they realize he doesn't. I mean, he might need a uh, supporting act in the sense of uh, a side, b side main event. But beyond that, he doesn't need any help. Yes, I realize they made 205 when he was at his peak, and it was this huge card and blah, blah, blah. That was like the sort of celebratory orgy of UFC strength. When they're trying to put together maybe three fights for him in a calendar year, they just, he doesn't need any help. Well, that was still, you, that help. was still Dana giving the finger to, to the New York state legislator, being like, this is what you could have had. Right. All these, all these it's a fair point, too. It was, it, was, it was a display of strength. Yeah. Um, the, Connor doesn't need any help. And, you know, you get a good B side in, in Cerrone. Yeah, like, they're going to, like, we're talking about the relative lack of interest. Understand what the word is what we're saying there. Relative. This is still going to sell a million pay per view buys. Easy. Easy. It'll be the second biggest pay per view card of the year. I'm telling you, it will be. Probably. If he wins, the next one is bigger. Yes. Like if it's a Habib rematch or something or Masvidal, that's bigger. You have to understand, like, there's really very little people that could get you a million, let alone flirt with the idea of two million. It's yeah. Connor and nobody else, like, without. That's his without, baseline. Yeah, without placing two legitimate A level stars right. against each other. Right. So, no, they're not sabotaging him. They're actually being like, thanks for taking care of us. Yeah. All right, next. So this is from someone who says, I am slave. Oh, wow. I am slave. Uh, do nice. you do you ever see a situation where the UFC would be willing to cross promote the way Bellator and Ryzen did? I understand Dana's stance on not wanting to hurt his product by sending a fighter over that loses, Chuck Liddell and Pride, for example. But could you ever see, and under what circumstances, if any, Dana White allowing such an event to take place? What are some matchups you'd like to see? What do you think? Uh, no, I would not see such a situation <clears throat> to take place. And the follow-up Never. question would be what would be the outlier in this in this situation? If a star emerged. I guess equivalent to where Fedor was back when Vadim was behind him in M1 and UFC was reaching out to try to make Brock Fedor. And obviously that wasn't like young Fedor. It was it's still an old Fedor. It's almost impossible to be what that is. It's <laughs> almost impossible. So it would have to be somebody like a Michael Venom Page in Bellator and one or somebody like that. I know now he's lost and somewhat exposed, but somebody who could come out of nowhere and be a phenomenon and not just be a great fighter, but obviously be a marketing phenomenon where UFC would ever be entertained to the idea of saying, well, we can't sign him, but maybe in a one-night situation, we can deal with somebody else and share their star and put our best against his to prove to the world that we are number one. But that's not going to, even if that happened, even if you told me tomorrow the Tiger Woods of MMA is going to pop up and he's going to be with PFL or whatever, you know, even if that's going to happen, it would have to be sustained success over a long period of time, which is why I guess the only, since UFC really became UFC and completely cornered the market and dominated... I think Fedor's that only one who really ever put them yeah, in that spot it's, where it's like, do we want to give a little bit of our soul to try to make this fight happen? It's, it's all, I'm not saying it's impossible because there are ways it could happen, but it is basically impossible to be what Fedor represented to the UFC at the peak of their powers trying to get him. Um, there is no other organization out there that means what pride meant to UFC at that time. And, of course, UFC is a completely different scenario now, but I'm saying... 
you know, there was a while there where it was clear Pride was better than UFC. Then it got kind of debatable. And then maybe even UFC pulled ahead. But all that time, there's relative parity with Pride in terms of what they were doing and what it meant. I mean, when, when Fedor fought Crow Cop in 2004, that was the best heavyweight fight on the planet between the two best heavyweights, period. It wasn't even a contest. That doesn't exist, really, for the marquee divisions outside of UFC. You can, get, you can approximate it in other places. I would say if you got someone who was like a good MMA fighter, like two, three fights, and then they got like pro bo- I'm going to make something up. And they got like pro boxing fights. Maybe they, they grew up boxing. What if Aaron Pico had become that? <clears throat> if Aaron Pico had like turned into what we – he still might. We'll see. But somebody who had done something in another sport outside of MMA to really boost their profile. And he was in Expendables 4, <clears throat> let's say. Takes it back to MMA outside of UFC – that's possible, yeah. but just beating other MMA fighters outside of UFC, I think you can be a big deal like a Mohamed Kaladov in Poland or uh, you know, a uh, Edward Foliang in the Philippines for one, whatever those guys mean there. Uh, or, uh, what's the guy who Brandon Vera fought who was a big deal in, uh, I think, Myanmar? In, in, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in any event, you can be something like that, a regional hero, yeah. but you can't be what Fedor was. He was a global brand at that time. I, I, I just don't know how you could do that. I mean, and so, and, and by the way, to answer the question, Dana would never do it. Dana yeah. sent Chuck over to Pride because he thought Chuck was going to win, and he needed the visibility boost and the third-party validation. But you know, you beat Overeem, you don't beat Rampage. It, things go bad. Okay, uh, the real James Whitworth says Brian Campbell. Yes. Should the women's 145-pound division be? Oh, why am I reading like an old person with a Werther's original? You can look at that mouth? big screen right there. Jesus, too, fuck! Right? I am going blind. There's a, there's a picture with two guys with dongs touching over your shoulder. I, I know it's All the right. and you have you have sullied this place, but it's okay. Um, should the women's 145-pound division be opened up like light? Jesus, fuck, mother, fuck! Should the women's 145-pound division be opened up like heavyweight is for men and be set at 165 pounds? More signings, no weight cuts for the bigger girls, and a fresh challenge for Amanda uh, Nunes. Shout out to the bigger girls, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I called you fat. Look at me, I'm skinny, right? I know they're 165 they pounds. Well, busy. they can get kind of big at that at that weight. But all right, Mira, are you ticklish? You go with me down this road. Here we go. All Here right, come the dong right, jokes. All right, all right go ahead. Go ahead. Right, what do you think? Uh, no. I don't see. He's like opens it up. Is there like I a, get what they're saying. So they were saying, look, is there a flood of talent past 155? Like no, there's not. Well, like, in opening it up, you get technically more. It doesn't get to better. To be fair, to be fair, we just had a conversation about Clarissa Shields. What if she made a full-time move into MMA? Yeah. And I'm sort of saying, well, if she just cut down to 154, and we're not, we don't believe that she can cut down further, then she's an MMA heavyweight in reality, right? Yes. So I guess maybe there should be an open area where you say, if you can't make the more glamour divisions, if you will, of like a 30, 25, 35, not like 45, so glamour, glamour division, who the hell is there, right? Um, I want to say no off the start. And I don't like how they said the bigger girls, right? Oh, yeah. Are your sensibilities hurt? Bigger girls need love, too, right? Look. Are you being an SJ dub? Uh, but um, you know what? I've come full circle in that. In the I last actually like seconds. the idea. I actually like the idea. I think it's pretty because good. Because there is no heavyweight in women's, right? I think if you, I we used it. to tell Cyborg, if you can't make 35, you can't fight, right? Like, If you want to fight at 155 inside the 145 to 165 division, just make it a quote-unquote catchweight in the contract. All right, that's brilliant. What was the person's name who said that? Uh, the real James Whitworth. All right. All right, I'm usually dealing with the fake James Whitworth. That, that's, that's great. All right. Yeah, who is the fake one? Yeah, exactly. Uh, here we go. All right, from Infamous V. Or, sorry, Infamous Z. With Jaime Mungi, spelled wrong, victory over the weekend. Uh, do you see a Canelo fight in the future? Sort of a passing the torch kind of fight, by the way. My username is pronounced infamous. 
LOL, I'm such a donk. Oh, wow. You're a little more than that. Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, what do you think about Jaime Mungi? All right. Jaime um, we're Mungia. talking about Canelo passing the torch. Canelo's like 29 years old, right? Yeah. Like, so no, we're not anywhere near that. Could uh, Did you watch the Spike O'Sullivan fight that was in I did, uh, I did. We, you're seeing more wrinkles from Jaime Mungi. His first fight at middleweight, Eric Morales in his corner, El Terrible, my guy, who's trying to turn him from just being a, a car that's running into oncoming traffic. And I like the jab. I like the, some of How'd the wrinkles How do you think his power saw. looked at that weight class? Um, the jury's still out because right. you look at somebody like David Lemieux who took out Spike O'Sullivan with like the first big punch he landed. But look, Spike's also a tough out uh, in that regard. I think the real question here is, is Jaime Munguia, because he's on DAZN and now that he's at middleweight, and the fact that he's you know, Mexican, could this be a big fight for Canelo down the road? It could be, but I don't think in the near future because I'm not convinced Canelo will fight again at middleweight unless there was something giant that comes out of nowhere. I think he likes not having to cut down. I think he likes the speed advantages he has at 68. I think he'd be more apt to make Triple G. Remember this? Hey. Remember the business they did together? Those Supremacy. Fights? I think he's more apt to make Triple G or Demetrius Andrade, who has the WBO middleweight title, come up in weight to face him than not. Also, Mugia I could watched... Be, could I, be a long-term opponent, but not, nothing serious. He's 22 years old. I watched Jaime Munguia against Spike O'Sullivan. Um, Spike had his moments. The, uh, the, the stoppage was late, if you ask me. His corner... I know they threw the towel, and I know he, he bitched about it, but like they didn't need to send him out for, what, the 10th round yes. or 11th round, whatever it was. Here's what I saw from Jaime Munguia. I thought his power looked good, but not overwhelming at 160, but I guess we'll see. Uh, I thought that Sergio Mora's commentary was actually pretty good this time. Sergio Mora is arguably, I know we got yeah. Paul Malnagy at Showtime and he's at the top of his game, but Sergio Mora is climbing the ladder in terms of great fighter analysts. Which was that Munguia was, you could see he was trying to work out these new skills and sometimes they were there, the jab you noted, but then he would kind of get lazy and just go back to what he was doing. I did like some of the combination punching from him. Here's what I would say, even if they made the Canelo fight, it's not a passing of the torch if Canelo beats your ass, yeah, which well, I think is exactly what would happen. They're not, they're not equivalent boxers in terms of not really their ranking, but just forget rankings, forget numbers. You put those two guys together, Canelo's going to knock his ass out, and it's not going to be very close. So, A, I don't want to see the fight from that standpoint. Well, unless Munguia does have a great chin. So, I'm, you know, you don't know. Munguia okay, but he, might, he would get abused. I'm sorry. Yeah. He would just get abused. But Canelo is just a much better, much better boxer, and himself a power puncher all the way up to 168, as we've seen. So, the point being is, Munguia is an interesting, interesting rising prospect, yet nay contender. Uh, pump the brakes on that talk. <laughs> and change your username. You, you know, when Jay tells me to go to the next one in my ear, can I tell you the way he tells me puts me on mega tilt? He's always like, next! Like, he's so fucking bored back there. Jay? Wow. Wow. I All thought right. we were going to bring Jay up. And now he's making fun of my inability to read. All right, last question for you here from the Donks. Yes. Brian Campbell from <clears throat> Edwin's Picture. How do you decide whether to watch a movie in the theaters or not? I'm what, not a what regular gets you to theater the, watcher. What gets you to the cinema? I'm not a regular theater watcher, but what would get me to the cinema would be something that I need to be a part of the conversation, so I need to have seen it, right? I'm not a regular moviegoer. It usually takes a Star Wars type thing or a rehash of a movie I loved back in the day that they did it again and I'm ready to hate it so much that I have to see it to prove to myself that it had nothing close to what the original did. Remember when the, the Willy Wonka came out with... Uh, with Johnny, Johnny Depp, Depp yeah. I was like, oh, crap, I got to see it. I know I'm going to hate it. I hated it. Anyway, that's my point on that. Um, Uncut Gems, a lot of people talking about it. It makes me want to go to the theater because I'm a Sandler guy, right? And it's this is not Billy Madison here. This is a good-ass movie, yeah. potentially, with Oscar potential, although they got screwed. Um, that is the kind of thing that would get me out there. 
but uh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I've, I've long since retired from being a cultured movie fan who cares about the Oscar awards and goes to the theater on the regular, you know? Do you go to the theater with uh, assigned seats or just random pick uh, whatever? Dude, once you get one taste of the laying down on that bed, I don't care what other people did in that bed, right? Yeah. I'm not worried about that. In fact, I lay my jacket down and then lay on top of it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's your hot, it's like being in so your So my producer house. on my radio show was like, I like to go to the theater where you don't have assigned seating. And I'm like, that's because you're, uh, you're not housebroken and you're a stupid person. And he was like, but I don't understand. I'm like, that's because you pee in the corner. And, uh, wow. and, and, and speaking and, of that, hold on. I didn't get to answer the question. Uh, decide whether you go to the movie theaters or not. What is the value add in going to the theater? You're in front of a tremendous screen experience. Exper- yeah. The experience, you get the popcorn and all that stuff. Uh, you get the big seats, right? Get the nice sound system. I need to have a movie that delivers on those senses and those things. So Avengers Endgame, Star Wars. T2 Judgment Day. T2 Judgment Day. But, you that know, mattered in but, 92. And right? I know it's on Netflix, but like a marriage story? I need to see Adam Driver crying on a big-ass fucking screen. Well, that's the no, problem is since I've retired from caring about movies, the only time I go is like a date night with my wife or bringing the kids to a movie they really want to see. So all of I like those how you are, take your wife on a date where neither of you talk to each other. All of those are, well, you get dinner <laughs> with it and there's a car ride. All of those inevitably lead to movies that you're right, don't need to be watched in a theater, can right. be watched at home. I want to talk to you about movie etiquette because I, I admit, I, I grew up in Connecticut, but not Do you a, woo in the movies too? Not a cultured area of Connecticut. I grew mm. up in a factory town. When I met my wife and started dating her, okay. and we went to the theater together, okay. we sat down for the first time, maybe like the 10th date or whatever. It wasn't like, you know, date one. I remember saying to her, I'm like, this might be the first movie I've been to in a full decade in which I didn't at least bring in four cans of beer. And she's like, like horrified. Like, what? The, like, what? And I'm like, yeah, that's just sort of what you do, right? Like, yeah, you sneak the candy in there, but you got to bring the alcohol as well. And um, I mean, I used to go get, get real high and go to like matinees during the day with dudes who would just like drink beer in the theater and just piss right there from the seat. Because you know when you go during the day, there's like three people in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back, that's so what you're literally not housebroken. I was making a joke about that's that. That's what that's what randomly triggered it. I wouldn't do that, but I would. Sean Coyne, shout out to you. I would hang out with people who would act like that. Okay, who would just you know you you, you never sit next to you. You, you go. A, it's like my dad when he goes to the movie with my mom. He always makes her sit like one or two chairs down so we can completely stretch out. So he can just spray his urine. No, like a no male my dad cat? wouldn't spray the urine, but Sean Coyne would just let that thing out on like yeah. the. Well, and you know, I'd, you like, to, slant, I'd, I'd so. like to tell you. I'd like to tell you. I have friends better than that, but this is a true story. They didn't do it in the movie. Movies, but I lived in New York City in 2002 and three and four, right? And back then they still had payphones, although they were going away. And a buddy of mine, when he had to piss, he would not go into the bar. What he would do is he would go to the payphone and he would pretend like he's having a really aggressive <laughs> conversation, but like about really important things. No, 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 no. I said sell. No, no, no. Not buy. Sell. Meanwhile, he's urinating all over yeah, yeah, the stall. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he ended up being a really successful graphic designer, but yeah. Well, so what I'm trying to say here is I drew the line on not pissing in the theater because that's gross and barbaric to yeah. me. But if you're a single man in your 20s are, are, and you don't we, bring you don't bring at least four beers into a movie, like where wait, I come from, that's just how that's the way. You are, we, are we going to seriously debate whether or not it's um, awesome to urinate on yourself in a? Well, you're not getting the urine on yourself. It's more of just a full-on, I don't care about life, disrespect. You're hitting the back of the chair. But the problem is it's sliding down. It's also going to spray all over you. Yeah, it's gross. It's disgusting. disgusting. Yeah, am I supposed to condone this? or? I'm not saying I I, I enjoy that. No, your friend should have been sent to Guantanamo Bay. Of course I don't endorse this. Drinking in a theater, though. He should have been a... a, uh, 
rectally fed the rest of his life. I mean, are you kidding? Wow. wow. All, right. All right. I don't understand. Here's the thing. I don't mind going to the movies high. But going drunk, don't you just forget all the details of the movie? I went to the Jackass movie. And, and by the way, uh, I don't get drunk off four beers. You just drink four beers. Theater. That happened too. Yeah. Okay, well, you didn't miss much. I mean, you can always watch that one yeah. again. That's not a big deal. Yeah. But like going high, it's kind of fun. Going drunk, you just never forget anything. You just forget it all. I can't wait for next week's conversation where you would like, look, I shit myself all the time. I've been in theaters. Let's, let's debate the merits. I've been to multiple movies where fistfights broke out in the theater. Opening night of the program. All right. Apparently, we have an extra. New Jack qu- City. It's a good movie. Let's, uh, we have another question here. I, I did not. It's not screened. From King Derek, who you got tonight, Clemson or LSU? What do you think? You're going to oh, watch King, the National King Derek. He sounds like a football player. He does. Probably, you know what? Probably a D2 scrub, though. Yeah. D2 scrub. <laughs> I heard he was a uh, scholarship athlete. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't have. A, I don't have a take here. Do you watch college football at all? Uh, you know, I did. You know, I worked at ESPN for many years where we had to watch every game, so yeah. I, I'm woke to it. But I, I, when you, I say this, Luke, and you're gonna, you're gonna clown me. When you begin to cover pro wrestling as a sport, it's not a sport. You no longer have the time to watch actual sports if you want to be considered an expert. I'm not. Well, I'm good not news proud for of, me. I'm not proud of saying that, but it's a time suck like no other, Luke. Okay. Uh, that I can believe. That I can believe. Uh, for tonight, I got to tell you, I've been big on. Uh, I hate his name, but I've been big on Dabo Sweeney. And what Clemson can do, but then you watch LSU and they just seem to be unstoppable. Have you heard their head coach from LSU? I think it's Mark, is it Mark Orgeron, whatever his name is? Oh, Ed, Ed Orgeron. Ed Orgeron. From, from Mississippi? No, 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 from LSU. Yeah. Go, go Tigers. Yeah. Death Valley, where about his dreams go to die. I'm like, you should sing in a metal band, sir. You'd be pretty well, fucking he, good. He should be in Cannibal Corpse. He should be. He should replace that guy that went to jail for touching kids. There was no guy that went to jail for touching. The guy who was uh, mentally nuts, he had uh, sitting. He Coach was Sandusky on base, that guy. No, 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 no. He was committing arson is what oh, he was doing. Oh, that's fine. All he right. was committing arson. But he has mental problems. They replaced him. He's yeah, like, all right. That's good. That's fine. We got another right. psycho in there. Now's the time on Sprockets when we do uh, hey, Slapstick. I've been good this show, all right? You've been great. All right? You've been great. All right? But and it, the most important news is you're alive. I am alive, and that's great, okay? but look, I have to say, when you got sick there, I was worried about my paychecks here. I was like, what are you going to do? Who, who would you have replaced? Who would you have brought in here to bring that type of intensity? Who would urinate on themselves oh, stop it. while watching pro wrestling? For that, I don't know. Right? All right, here we know. go. Have you seen this shit? Look, right. I'm a couple weeks late to this. As you know, we span the globe for the good, bad, and the ugly. We certainly combat do. sports and beyond. A couple weeks late to this, but have you heard of this Senegalese giant, this wrestler named Rugrug Umar Kane? I'm He's guessing it's one. not the white gentleman. He, no, the white gentleman has a Kimura lock. This is Rugrug's pro debut in MMA a couple weeks back. Is this the best way ever to escape from a Kimura or what? Holy shit. Good lord, get that trash bag out of there. Dude, he is yes. strong. He's trying to dig his head into the ground. Well, he's not very technical, but he's strong as shit. Uh, this was at A-R-E-S F-C-1. I have no idea what that means. Is Dude, that a, is do you understand how strong you have to be to stand up from this? I want to see this guy every night, every time, every Dude, time he fights. Okay? I mean, you get that guy a real training scenario, and he is going to do what? Do you have to be butt strong Look at how jacked that guy is. That is just, that's unnatural oh, strength. Oh, yes. my God. Have you seen that shit? All right, yes. Get him out of MMA and put him in weightlifting. That's what I'm talking about, that yeah. That dude is explosive. Get him into football, something there. Let him, let him hurt people. All right. Hey, let's move on. Uh, we're going to go into an MMA cage, but this isn't sanctioned mixed mark. <laughs> what kind of Dungeons and Dragons this shit? bullshit is this? So I, I, so I knew who you pulled it from, Grabaka Hitman, which is Kaposa Kaposa's always got this stuff. He's amazing. He loves this. Are you into the night fighting no, shit? No, what kind of, like, nerd, like, dude, what? It, this is, this does. Here. This does nothing for me. 
And, and Kaposa called this the, uh, the Derek Lewis Francis Ngannou of, of night fights. He said there's just not enough action. I don't care. I, unless, they, unless you're telling me in ahead, ahead of time these video game nerds will die, the loser will be gone from the earth. That's a very Luke Thomas reaction yeah, this from me. Is, but I mean uh, you got to fight to the death if you're going to do this. Uh, it, look, even the referees wear an armor. Get this BS. The like, referee is wearing yes. armor? Yes. For what? I don't, I, don't even, like, I don't even know what the point is of wearing armor. The swords don't do shit. Uh, is this role play? Like, isn't there a Renaissance fair you can go to? Like, come on. Do you like the Renaissance fair? No, they're weird. They're like, they're 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 Dude, the weird. Renaissance fair. Every time, do you want to see the the, the Renaissance fair? I thought it's your people, the people that that hate the Lord. You know, all the all the. the yeah, but they're a different kind of people that hate the Lord. They're like the pagans who actually think there's a different Lord, so they're also awful. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Uh, I, I also hate them. You've never seen anything grosser than your life than the stack of detritus. Like, go into an outhouse at the Renaissance Festival and just look at what has been left there. God. It's actually like looking at this fight. So it's something similar. All right, back to real fights here. Let's go to LFA 55. I want to introduce you to Haley Cowan. Oh, my God. A former All-American D1 gymnast now fighting in MMA. And take this in the face, Luke. Oh, shit. Wow. When was this? This was a couple weeks ago, LFA 55. Bop. Oh my God, hoof and mouth disease right there. Wow. <laughs> yes. Hey, we see the, 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 we saw wrestlers make the MMA transition a while back. It, maybe gymnasts, maybe, you know, people that can kick like that. People that flexible, Luke. You yep. remember your college days, right? Yeah, well, the thing is. Chasing the muff around, right? Chasing the muff. Oh my God, you're going to get us fired. Uh, That's a 90s reference. Stays and confused. I don't know if you... Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. That would get me out of getting fired, Normally, right? you see these ladies go into... Um, who was the lady? K Katie Catanzaro? Did you ever see... Casey uh, Catanzaro, yeah. Casey Catanzaro? She's a pro wrestler now with WWE. Are you shitting me? Well, she might retire. She's on the verge of retiring, but... Wait, yeah. wait. She went from doing gymnastics to the where I followed her, which was American Ninja Warrior. You didn't Warrior. see her in the Royal Rumble last year when she climbed up the backside of the, the ring post and then... This is not a joke? This is not a joke. Casey Catanzaro is... She's dating WWE superstar Ricochet. I don't know if you're in on that. Let me guess. It's spelled Rick O'Shea. No, I was going to say, uh, not, not Vince McMahon uh, probably hired him thinking he was getting an Irishman, but really it's the uh, the sensation. This is a real thing. How long has she been doing this? Uh, almost two years, but uh, she, good? she has some back injuries. There's there's like a false rumor that she was going to retire. Then she said it's not true. She may retire. She's, she's okay. She's very small, but with that gymnastic ability, she's able to do... Uh, very innovative flip moves using the ring ropes and uh, and stuff. So yeah. All right. Well, it's either that or you can fight MMA. You're gonna be a way better athlete than. But look at that. Take that. Bop. Get the Bop. hell out of my cage. Look at that. Very Cerrone esque wow. catching them with a head kick as they back up. Wow. Yeah. All right. Hey, we're gonna roll on here. It was the holiday season, Luke. I hope you and yours uh, enjoyed uh, uh, whatever you do. Uh, virtual reality is gonna eventually it's gonna take over our life. Have you ever seen Total Recall? But for now, we got donks like this trying to walk on a. Oh my God. Oh, he must have been drinking. He gets what he that's a flat back bump right there. Yeah, that, it that, is. He gets what he deserves right there, right? He's wearing that. Was that the Oculus Rift or the Samsung? Oh, I don't know. But uh, pretty soon we'll be having sex over those, right? We'll never talk to each other. Be like the Matrix. We'll just plug in every day. Remember yeah, when Arnold say, Total say, Recall was like, I want the slut. Be honest. He was say, like, you, say, you say it like it's a bad thing. All right. All right. When that happens, I will be one of the crusaders who take the other pill. I will free this world from this, Luke. Okay? Yeah, I'm like the dude. Who was the dude who turned on all the other people in the Matrix? Joe, uh, Pet Joe. He was uh, like, I don't want to remember nothing. Yeah, the, He's eating the steak. Yeah. I'm that dude. Okay. Put me, but you can use me as a battery. I don't care. All right, all right. Uh, I want to show you. I, I know it's the new year. You probably got a gym membership, Luke, trying to get that baby fat off. Here's a new workout thing you can do. Check it out. Hurdle, hop over there. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, Taco Tuesday's no more, Luke. Look at this. Are you making a Latin joke? No. 
Oh, God. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. That looked like it hurt, Luke. Did you make a Tacos Tuesday joke? Did you? No, no, I didn't. But, uh, wow, Luke. I mean, that, I mean, look, I don't, we don't, we don't want to clown people and, and have fun at people's demise, but that, you're not getting, I do love back. Taco Tuesday. You're not though. coming back from that, Luke, all right? Clams Casino, indeed, right? You're not, oh, my God. Where's the moose knuckle thing you're going to say Luke, now? I don't, I don't, that's, that's too far. Is it too, yeah? I mean, is it past the point of good taste? It's is that what we're doing now? It's good taste here. All right. Hey, let's go to some full contact. I don't know what he call this. Taekwondo. There's padding, but watch this. Walk off. Liver kick. Look at the slickness he's, on that dude, finish. He sent this dude flying. As he's walking away, like, F you, I got plans. I'm out of here, right? Mark Hunt style. I'm gone. What is this? What sport is What's this? the guy in the back doing? Yeah, he's, he's, he's a... He's trying to get the, I don't know, maybe he's telling, yeah. wave, maybe he's telling, you know, remember in Major League Two, the Japanese guy, Takahashi? He's like, no marbles. Remember he did the Sam Cassell thing, like the, you know, you know what I'm talking, where we're going? The exit is that way. Okay. It says okay. exit over the door. All right. All right. Hey, how about that? All right. Have you seen the shit rolls on here, Luke? Um, I think this is Thai boxing. Some people think this is fake. Darren Till's one of them on, on Instagram with these giant gloves, but oh my God. Hello, sir. Here's your ticket. You've been sent to hell. Luke, look at that. It's just he clubs it with him. Candidate for knockout of your lifetime? Hold that. Is that real? Wow, that is fun. How big are these dudes? They don't look very athletic. I don't what size gloves are those? Like 18 ounces? Oh my god. Wow. All right. Hey, we span the globe here, Luke. Do we? All right, uh, there's going to be a boxing fight Super Bowl weekend on DAZN. Here we go. YouTubers unite. It's Jake Paul, brother of Logan, and someone named Anison Gibb. I got your nose. No, it's that big. I got your dog. Somebody take Hall of Famer Shane Mosley out of the scenario. What are you doing there, Shane? Get out of here. Dude, I am drawing the line. He did the I got your nose bit. Yeah, what kind of bullshit is this? DAZN, stop doing this to us. I draw the line. I drink the juice for Logan Paul KSI, too. Dude, you know who the Paul brothers are? They're like if Ali G was a real person. Yes. I mean, look at what this guy's wearing. The wife beater tucked into the red pants. He's like, booyakasha. That's, that is who they are, dude. I'm done with this. Okay, I got in for the first one. It was fun. Everyone made money. We had a dude, laugh. They, they went, they went, the zone went all in I on Malibu's want Most Wanted. This is going to be the co-main event of a Demetrius Andre card. Super I know, weekend. it's a real card. I know, but uh, I don't, I can't do it anymore. I'm signing off from YouTube's right now, okay? Uh, I, I just want to point out, everyone's like, this is a smart move by DAZN. You were the same fuckboys that were saying, yo, dude, K1 having Yokozuna fight, <laughs> this couldn't be bad for MMA, a word. Remember when Jose Canseco brought the bat into the ring against Hong Man Choi? Yeah. That's more entertaining than this. Okay, that'll, I'll get that. And then ran the whole time? Yeah, all right. Yeah. Hey, dude, let's dude, roll I, on I here. can't believe he did the you uh, got your nose bit. Speaking next of time, next face off, he's like, I got a nickel from your ear. Speaking of his own co-main event over the weekend, you see this women's fight? Franchon Cruz Desern, she ended up losing to Jimenez, but in the corner... Her coach is like, I quote, you want the weave or you want the title? Look at what the corner does. They first, they hold down her arms because her hair kept getting in the way. Look at this shit, Luke. If you got real hair, if you got fingernails, if you got a job, you going to school, you don't need anybody handling your business. Make some noise. My God. Never. Never Don't in two fingers in the air. No. Never in boxing. I'm like. Have I seen? Yeah, look at that. Look at boxing oh, bodega. Look at his reaction. I'm like, I'm half. Like uh-uh. 
I don't know whether to laugh. I've seen it all, yo. That was a real title fight. I'm a little bit horrified. I love that one of the cornermen held her arms down because they knew that she would protect the weak. Look, this uh, happened to Paul and Malamadji. Remember that fight here. with Lovemore Endu? Peter Carr's in the corner had to, had to cut no. off his fake dreads that he had in there. I've seen that at weigh-ins. I've never seen it in the middle of a fight. But they fight. just pulled the damn weave right off. Dude, what the fuck, man? And the coach said, do you want the weave or do you want the title? I felt like a crime I just watched. Or the strap, Jay is telling me in my ear. Okay, well, everyone's been at that crossroads, right, Luke? Holy shit. Are we going to end on that horrible shit? No, we're shit? not. We're oh, not. Okay. We're going to take you to some animal MMA, Luke. I'm I telling you, I go everywhere for this shit, okay, Luke? I've been asking you to Check out this stuff. raccoon's ground game here. Takes the back of this, of this pussy cat. Gable grip on. First of all, who has a domesticated raccoon? Do the, do the tap? Oh, that's, that's rear naked. Connor's going out on this. Connor's tapping. Interesting enough, that raccoon's name is Habib. And now we smell the ass on the way out. Luke, I need, I need something from you here. I'm watching the captions. Look, that raccoon would scratch your eyes out, okay? He would, he would have pleasure urinating okay. in your beard. Here, here. That raccoon is also a more sensible bathroom user than your friend. How is the, movie the technique, theater. though? How is the technique on that raccoon? Uh, not bad. Okay. Here's what I want to see, though, from this thing. I don't want to see animal on animal violence, which this is not exactly. This is just playful behavior. But um, I want to see an animal fuck up a person. We have those, too. I have oh, we one have next those, week. too? Next week, a kangaroo took a dude out. Like when someone's um, like, oh, yeah, let's get too close to the petting zoo. And then, yeah. you know. We're going to close on this. This is the most requested clip in Have You Seen This Shit History. I'm not lying. I had at least 25 tweets, emails, DMs. Oh, I saw this It's one. a restaurant fight, and he this guy turns into Ric Flair. Watch this. Lick my hand Bop. and chop that shit. Oh, my Son. God. Son. Luke. Woo. Son. Luke, dude, what have you these? ever seen this type of shit in a real fight? This is like pro wrestling moves. Dude, it looks like by the nature of his clothes, he'd been getting fucked up before. Oh, my God. And he went back and just asked he for He folded seconds. him up in a suitcase. It's like a three-piece with a... Where's the, conta- where's the no, full like, container? Like a, no, no, like a slinky trying to go down a, pa- a pair of stairs. Full-on Ric Flair. I know you hate pro wrestling, bop. but that's impressive, Mer. right? Dude, that was amazing. That was amazing. Dude, here's what it's a... Oh, look at, look at Ric Flair take down six, just like that, right? Yeah, whatever X-Pac, that means. X-Pac, whatever you want to call yeah, it. whatever that means. Oh, look at this. Look at this. Give me again. Oh, yeah. Nice reverse knife edge chop. Can we just not do pro wrestling on this okay. fucking show, hey, please? we got through a hole. Have you seen this shit? No dicks. I've turned over a, a new leaf, new dong for 2020, okay? My thirst for dicks has gone down, said <laughs> Brian right. Campbell. Have you seen that shit? Yeah, thank you. Thank uh, you Brian much. Campbell, with that in mind, we end on odds and ends. Let's actually do a bit of an exercise here for my odds and ends. Yeah, what do you got? I would like to do name one hidden, uh, underrated something storyline about UFC 246. I'm going to pick this one. Andre Feely taking on Sadiq Youssef. The second fight, not, not the main event of the prelims, but the co-main event of the prelims, if that's even a thing. It's on ESPN, a incredibly interesting 145-pound fight. I think most people expect Sadiq Youssef to win. The odds makers have him slightly favored. He's very athletic. He's a very good striker, very heavy-handed. But Andre Feely has turned over a new leaf. You could have said he would have won that. He should have won that Michael Johnson fight, which would give him a five-fight win streak. He's on a two-fight win streak. 
At age 28, 29, I don't think he's the athlete that Yusef is, but his game is finally coming together. He looks really polished. I think Yusef, again, the better athlete, but I don't think he's as polished. So it's a younger guy who's a little bit raw, maybe a little more naturally talented versus a guy who's also, by the way, very talented, but a little bit more polished. What's going to happen when the two collide? Love that fight on the prelims. I know people are dogging this card. And they should for the main for the for mm-hmm. the main card you have to pay for, but there are some gems down on the prelims. Uh, the co-main event is weird, so they're using Holly Holmes' name to go in this rematch that no one really wants or cares about against Raquel Pennington. I just wonder, win or lose here, Luke, what's left for Holly Holmes? Thirty-eight years old, and has really had like one of the oddest resumes and legacies in MMA history. In her third UFC fight, she shocks the world and knocks out Ronda Rousey, but has gone two and five since then and is really known for being a credible loser. What I mean by that, putting up really strong performances in title fights, but she's lost her last four title fights, Luke. How do you think we would kind of remember her win or lose here? I don't think she's going back because both of the divisions she fights in, Mm -hmm. Amanda Nunes is on top, and she just lost by first round head kick. Who is Holly Holm in the end after all this? When you look back over a seven fight stretch and she only beats Kohea and Anderson and loses to the best that, that this sport's seen. Also, she's nearing 40 years old, though. You have to keep that in mind. The other part is, like, who is Raquel Pennington? Because she had a terrible accident. Then she wanted to quit on the stool, which I, I fully supported her on against Amanda Nunes. Then loses that. Comes back. I think she lost her first or second fight even after that. But she got in a rebound uh, more recently. So the question is, can she keep that going? Remember that first fight between Pennington and Holm was close. close. Well, I guess close. what I'm By saying, way, on, is, is Holm a Hall of Famer? Or for being for one moment, she'll go in the Hall of Fame at a bare minimum for the win over Rousey because you can go in for single performance. Have you seen a resume like this where somebody is so beloved and respected, and by the way, rightfully so on the respected part, but has lost all of her big fights after Ronda Rousey? Dude, my earpiece is hissing like a forty ounce. I just opened. Yeah, can you hear Jay's it? Jay's Revenge. Can you hear it? Yes, I can. Listen. No, I don't want. I don't know what goes put it, on. Put in, in your mouth. No, put it in your I, mouth. Come on. Uh, you don't need Jay the rest of the way. You don't need it, all right? What's the difference between Jay and just static? The answer is static is pleasant. Oh, all right. All right. Um, all right. Last but not well, least, on. your the, your odds and ends. Well, one other thing. Macy Barber's in a very featured spot here Against in the Roxanne preliminary Monteferi. main event. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. She's 3-0 with three KOs, a fourth one in the Dana White uh, contender series. It's time for her to make that leap. The problem is... There's no contenders at 35, so right. you don't want her to make that leap too quick. But she has a chance in a very featured spot against a fighter who is very difficult to finish in Matafari to really announce herself, I think. If she can finish Matafari in demonstrative fashion, it's like, okay, let's start building the drum to how many fights we think responsibly you can give this 22-year-old before she would be ready for Amanda Nunes. And then lastly, I'll say this in the opening fight on the, on the main card. So once the pay-per-view kicks off, it's uh, Anthony Pettis going back to 155 against very much the dark horse of that division, Carlos Diego Ferreira, who I think is a bit of a, a little bit slept on, which he had a couple losses against when he went up in competition, including Dustin Poirier at 155. But I'd say this, he's been on a great win streak. He just beat, I think, um, uh, Rusam Havilov and then somebody else in Abu Dhabi. I cannot remember who he beat. Uh, but in any event, um, now trained by Saif Saud at a Fortis MMA. And that guy has very good game plans because the best out of his fighters. I actually think that's kind of competitive. If Cowboy came down with herpes between now and Saturday, would Anthony Pettis get the spot against Connor? Herpes. Um, probably. I don't know if there's not a lightweight on that card that right. would be in relevant consideration. I could have um, picked a different STD. That's all right. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Hey, um, my odds and ends are Luke. Yes, what are they? 2020 is the new year upon us. We talk in both sports, the fights we want to see, we need to see boxing. Obviously, it's a little different because of the power structure and the political side of it. But the one biggest fight we want to see outside of the heavyweights in 2020, undoubtedly, is Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, two unbeaten welterweight champions. And finally, they have seemingly taken it upon themselves to start to build this. Did you see the Twitter war that began in the last week and a half? First, it was Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford's sister going at each other. I saw Ter- I saw Crawford go after uh, Mike Coppinger. Well, f- oh my, he sent Mike <laughs> Coppinger to hell in a handbasket. I saw Look, that. Uh, I like Mike. Shout out to Mike. I'm friends with yeah, Mike, yeah, but Mike's no one. Good. I don't think anyone's taking an L harder in that moment than Mike right there. But shout out to Mike. Um, Terrence Crawford and Bud start Bud and Spence started going back and forth. I'll f and finish you. All this stuff, and it ended. With Bud kind of saying, look, um, Spence and I are cool. We're going to make this happen. Luke, this is how you make the big fights when you are on the opposite sides of the street. You don't say, well, it's up to them. You go out there and go after it. This is what we want. This is what we need. You have to put your promoters and your network in an uncomfortable spot where they have to make it happen or you look bad publicly. Mm. That's what these fighters are doing with this. We need to see this fight. I want to see this fight. And, Luke, don't forget one thing, all right? Mm Fury and Wilder are going to have that rematch in February. Double network pay-per-view. It puts Al Heyman and Bob Arum on coming together for this. If that fight is a monster success, maybe Spence Crawford is doable this year. All right. Maybe. We'll have that's to how you do it, Luke, right? Yes, that's you got to make shit happen. All right. What happened to my earpiece? What are you doing? You're just drawing now? You're making shit. Do we shapes? have anything left in the show? No, we're done. Right, you probably have a job you got to get to. Uh, yes, I have many things I have to get to. All right, so we appreciate you guys watching today. The usual, of course. Give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel. We'll be, are you going to uh, Vegas? Yes, yes. All right, so have fun out there. Thank you. Enjoy that. Your be time. safe, right? Be sa- uh, I don't care if you're safe. Just don't die. Just Don't you go dying on me. Uh, hey, we encourage people though, like you said, please subscribe. This thing is look, this this is this shit's going some places. Certainly is. I don't know if you're ready for where it's going. I am more than ready. Uh, I'm also more than ready to get the fuck out of here because I have a train to gotta guy gotta catch. All right. So thank you guys so much for watching. We really appreciate it. Like the video, subscribe, tell your friends about it. We're back next week for all the uh, wrap-up around UFC 246. For Brian, I'm Luke. Until then, may all of your gains be loyal. <laughs> <laughs>